This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the The Big Big Dinosaur Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week we have a bunch of news. Our dinosaur of the day is Byronosaurus. And we have the final part of our epic dinosaur road trip when we went to the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana. And we got a chance to talk to John Scanella. A very cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> and the interim curator of paleontology at the museum. But before we get into all that, we just want to say a quick thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate everything that you do, and we hope you enjoy the little things that we've been posting more regularly. If you would like to join our group of supporters, then please check our page out at patreon.com slash inodino. First up in the news, in Japan, a father and son team discovered a fossil of one of the oldest sauropods found so far in the country. The fossil is 0.9 inches, 2.3 centimeters long, and it's a titanosaur tooth. And scientists think that the titanosaur may have been as long as 32.8 feet or 10 meters. It's unnamed so far. The father and son who found the tooth discovered it on July 3rd while looking for fossils together, which is a really cool hobby to have. And visitors to the Tokushima Museum can see the tooth on display from now until September 25th. That is cool. It's nice that they gave it to a museum to display rather than keeping it or selling it. It is. Next up, thanks to Chris on Facebook for telling us about the Jurassic Park at the Zoological Society of London Whipsnade Zoo, which is apparently the biggest zoo in the UK. So Jurassic Park is one of those outdoor animatronic dinosaur collections and they have activities for kids like face painting and fossil digging activities in air quotes it's probably the brush the sand off of the pieces of stone situation but the activities are included with the admission to the zoo so if you like zoos it's a good chance to see some dinosaurs last weekend they also had tv presenter andy day there as well if you're into certain uk shows you might recognize that name And on their website, they also have the dinosaur noises. So if you can't make it, you can hear what they sound like. And my favorite is the Brachiosaurus. Me too. (laughs) Reminds me of some kind of car ride. Oh, yeah, it does kind of sound like an old-timey car. Yeah. I was thinking it reminded me of more like a a cat purring or something like that. Or a... Star Wars. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Like Chewy. Yeah. Stegosaurus is pretty good, too. <laughs> that sounds more like an angry cow, though. It does. <laughs> yep. So if you want to hear all those noises and their other dinosaurs in person, 
you should go to the zoo. They also have a sleepover event called Snorassic Park. That's <laughs> a good name. <laughs> and for 75 pounds, a little steep, you can sleep overnight if you bring your own tent. Did they wake you up with random dinosaur noises throughout the night? Probably not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> and the dinosaurs are going to be there until September 4th, so you still have a little while to see them. That's coming up. Next, according to Express and Echo, three of the fiberglass dinosaur models that were made for the Dinosaur Safari, which is an outdoor sculpture trail at an Exmouth resort near the Jurassic Coast in the UK, have been damaged. And the trail is set to launch on August 20th, but the baby T-Rex had its head broken off. The baby Triceratops was damaged in what looks like an attempt to remove it from the concrete, and another dinosaur had its foot damaged, which is sad. The third dinosaur's foot is being repaired, but the T-Rex head has to be assessed to see if it even can be repaired. Poor baby T-Rex. So organizers of the trail are trying to find information on the people who ruined these dinosaurs. The launch is still going to go ahead as planned on August 20th, and from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., they'll have fossil displays, dinosaur art, and dinosaur films. Cool. Next, the Oxford Museum of Natural History is looking for a new home for its Utah Raptor model. In July, the museum let people know that they were looking to rehouse it, and they ended up getting more than 200 applications. So the plan's to donate the Utah Raptor to one winner, with the requirement that they have a floor space of 5 by 4 feet, or 1.6 by 1.2 meters, with more room for the Utah Raptor's tail. And there have been applicants from all over Britain, as well as Europe and America, though the museum hopes to keep the dinosaur in the county, and they'll be making a decision by the end of August. Yeah, I'll have to add the Oxford Museum of Natural History to our map of dinosaur museums. We got some great new addition thanks to tweets and Facebook messages from Jordan, Kim, Cole, and Jen. And so now all of those are on the map. And then I also did a little bit more digging to add some more in China and the ones that we went to in Hong Kong and Taiwan. And next week, we're going to post a survey for your favorite dinosaur museum so we can see which museums you guys like the best. And if you go to inodino.com and go to the Dinosaur Maps page and you don't see your museum there, that's what I'm going to be using for the survey. Right now, there's, I think, about 100 of them. But let us know if yours is not on the map yet, and I'll add it. Yeah, I wonder how many dinosaur museums there are in the world. I used to think that there were only like 100, but there must be well over two, three hundred. 300. I feel like with the 100, that just scratches the surface. Yeah, because just... Just doing searches of the biggest dinosaur museums in states or countries, you get to about 100. So, like China at first, I found one in Beijing, and then I found like two or three more after looking a little bit closer. Cool. Next, we've talked about this before, but just want to remind everyone that the Dinosaur State Park in Rocky Hill, Connecticut, will be celebrating its 50th anniversary on the weekend of August 20th and 21st. Yeah, they're really drawing out their 50th anniversary because there have been a lot of news items that are like 50th anniversary celebration, but it's like the fourth one this year. It's a big deal. Yeah. Also, it, that's not nearly as much as what Disney's done for their 60th. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Their 60th anniversary technically ended last year, but they're still going till <laughs> September. <laughs> that's true. By comparison, it's nothing. Yeah. But unlike Disneyland, you can get free admission <laughs> to this for their 50th anniversary. To your point, if you know the right people, you can get free admission to Disneyland. <laughs> I guess so. That's true. So, yeah, free admission there, August 20th, 21st. 
from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. and they have special events. They might still have, last time we talked about a plaster cast thing that you could do. I think you can still do that too. So check out their website if you want more details. Yeah, sounds like a pretty fun weekend. And next, according to Straits Times, Ho Ching, the wife of Singapore Prime Minister Lee Sien Lung, made an $11, actually I think it was 14 Singapore dollars, denim dinosaur purse famous when she took it with her to a visit to the White House. And this purse was designed by a 19-year-old named Si Tong Sheng Ji, a student at Pathlight School for Autistic Children and Youth. And Sheng Ji started to like dinosaurs since he saw the movie Dinosaur when he was three years old and started drawing them after a paleontologist visited the school. And we'll post a link on our blog and you can see a picture of it. It's very realistic looking dinosaurs and very detailed and, and small. It's pretty amazing. So because of the publicity, the purse is now completely sold out and will not be restocked for two months. <laughs> but people can buy a yellow coin pouch or travel pouch with the same detailed dinosaur design. For now, until that's sold out, too. Yeah. They got to jack up their prices. <laughs> yeah, but that's really cool how that happened. That is. And last, and the piece of news I'm most excited about for this week... So Michael Crichton, the author of Jurassic Park and the Lost World, among many, many other books, will have a new dinosaur book published by HarperCollins in May 2017. And although he passed away in 2008, Crichton had a few incomplete novels, and his wife Sherry recently discovered the manuscript for the one that's going to be published next year, and it's called Dragon Teeth. And it's basically the story of the Bone Wars, but told through the point of view of a fictional apprentice who also finds some dinosaurs. And according to Sherry, the book may have been inspired by Professor Edwin H. Colbert, a paleontologist and curator at the American Museum of Natural History, who Michael corresponded with. And Dragon Teeth was a mostly complete manuscript and does not need any additional writing or major editing. So that's good news. And this is kind of the Bone Wars book I've been waiting for. I mean, there's so many out there, but Michael Crichton. <laughs> he is really good. He is. Even his stuff that has nothing to do with dinosaurs I really liked. And now we're going to jump into the interview with Dr. John Scanella, the interim curator at the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana. And we had a lot of fun talking to him. We did. And looking around the museum, you can see our video of it on YouTube. It's called our Epic Dinosaur Road Trip Part 4. Yep. It was a good final stop. It's a pretty major dinosaur stop, considering it houses most of the dinosaurs that are discovered in Montana. So... Especially if you're into things like T-Rex and Triceratops, that's the museum you want to go to. <laughs> and if you're a lumper. <laughs> so now on to the interview. We are joined this week by Dr. John Scanella, who has a bachelor's in geological sciences from Rutgers and a PhD from Montana State University, MSU, in earth science. And the Museum of the Rockies was founded back in 1957 and has the most dinosaur fossils of any museum in the state and probably the U.S. They claim the U.S., but I'm skeptical, including the world's largest T-Rex skull and several unique triceratops. And John is the interim curator while they, I guess, get a replacement for Jack Horner. You did a TEDx talk on triceratops. Is that your favorite dinosaur? I guess so. I kind of have two. Triceratops, I guess I've spent uh, the last 10 years working with Triceratops. So I feel like Triceratops is the dinosaur that I know the best. Like from morning to night, I wake up and I'm with Triceratops and it's Triceratops. So Triceratops. <laughs> but 
Before Triceratops, I guess, when I was a little kid, I had this children's book about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And you know how the storyline in children's books about dinosaurs is usually the same. You start off in the Triassic, and then you meet Allosaurus and Brontosaurus, and then Triceratops shows up and he fights with T-Rex, and then they all die. But in this one, there was like an extra bonus page with this dinosaur that was in none of my other books, and his name was Gorgosaurus. Mm. And he looked pretty much like T-Rex, except he was standing in the rain like roaring and he looked awesome and i was like that that's a cool dinosaur so gorgosaurus was my favorite i guess i still kind of like gorgosaurus but i don't work on gorgosaurus at all it's just a really cool dinosaur and if it ever stood and roared in the rain i think that would be pretty cool so yeah, it's your favorite basically because of one really cool piece of paleo art basically well i mean i mean there's cool gorgosaurus fossils yeah. out there too and you know lots of cool science has been done on it so for very different reasons there's Gorgosaurus and then there's Triceratops. Cool. How'd you end up focusing on Triceratops? When I came out to Montana State University, I told Jack that I was interested in studying dinosaur evolution and kind of these big picture questions of how dinosaurs evolved. And Jack told me that if that's what you want to focus on, then you need to work with an animal that we have a lot of. And the animal that we have the most of here at the museum is Triceratops. So Triceratops is awesome because it's so common that you can really get into some of the deep questions about variation in dinosaurs and how they might have changed as they grew up from babies to adults and how they might have changed over geologic time. Uh, things that you can't really do with dinosaurs if you have like one specimen. Yeah. Like you could have a beautiful skeleton of a specimen and, and know all kinds of exciting things about it, but you can do a lot more when you have a hundred of something. Yeah, makes sense. When we talked to Jack Horner, he said his favorite was Myasaura, partly because of that, because he had a lot of them, yep. so you could tell these details. Cool. So, since you have so many fossils, mm -hmm. and I've heard that you're kind of almost out of space, mm -hmm. if not out of space, where do all these fossils come from, and where are you going to put new ones? Almost all the fossils here are from Montana. There's a few from just around the fringes, kind of like in Wyoming, mm -hmm. but uh, most of them are from Montana, and we have a lot of them. So one of the cool things about right now at the Museum of the Rockies is that we're actually, I think next week, going to start building the new Curatorial Center for the Humanities, which is a mm -hmm. big expansion of the museum for the history and photography collections. And basically, that's going to open up a huge amount of new space mm. for paleo. If you went into our paleo collections now, it is very nearly full, but this will add 9,000 square feet, I think, of additional space for paleo collections. So we'll be able to continue collecting <laughs> massive amounts of fossils from Montana. So in the meantime, we've, we've had to kind of slow down the collecting, and I think it'll be about a year projected before that is up. But in the meantime, it's going to be kind of cool because we're going to be expanding, and it'll be awesome to get more dinosaurs coming in. Cool. Yep. So in the meantime, do you do more like lab work and stuff like that? Well, I mean, it's not like there's nothing to do <laughs> in the meantime. There's still jackets and jackets that haven't been prepared. So we're preparing jackets, some that have been sitting around for quite a while, and you open an old jacket and you can still find super cool stuff inside of it. So it's been a good period of time to kind of, I guess, focus a bit on that and open up some of these jackets and organize things a bit. And then we're going to be heading out back out into the field actually in a few weeks. So slowly ramping up the field program again, and we'll be off and running pretty soon. So it'll be pretty cool. Nice. So you mentioned Jack Horner, mm -hmm. and I could probably guess based on being trained partially by him, but are, would you consider yourself a lumper or a splitter? <laughs> 
I guess I would be considered a lumper if you oh. had to divide it into just those two things. Mm-hmm. I worked with Jack on the Triceratops and Torosaurus work, the synonymy of Triceratops and Torosaurus. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't think I've split anything <laughs> personally, but we did propose that Torosaurus is the mature growth stage of Triceratops and that Netoceratops is a transitional growth stage between Triceratops and Torosaurus. So if you consider that lumpy, then uh, it's pretty that, lumpy. That would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess I guess that would put me in the lumpy category. <laughs> All right. You've also had people say they were middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. You don't have to be hard. Left oh, you yeah. didn't. Right. I didn't know that there was more than two options. <laughs> it's more exciting this way. <laughs> yeah, I think if you write a paper about getting rid of a species. Yeah, I, I think that though. kind of. I mean. <laughs> If you got just as, I, I couldn't say that I'm a splitter then, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> what has the response to that whole Triceratops Torosaurus been like? Where do you think it's at? Are most people accepting it? Is it still controversial? I think it's still considered to be controversial by, by several people, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun <laughs> to propose the hypothesis because we propose that Torosaurus is the mature growth stage of Triceratops. And then there's a number of researchers who say, no, they're, they're separate taxa. But it's been kind of a great scientific experience to go through the process of proposing the hypothesis. And then the hypothesis is challenged, right? And then you have to find more evidence to go with the hypothesis or it could be falsified. And the other researchers, like, for example, Andy Farkey. Have you met Andy Farkey? Nope. Not yet. Oh, Andy is fantastic. But Andy thinks that Torosaurus and Triceratops are separate taxa. And he wrote his first paper, a paper where he said that, and he sent it to me before it was published so I could comment on it and get back to him about what I thought about it, which was like a really cool thing to do because it wasn't like out of nowhere this paper came out attacking the hypothesis. So <laughs> we have really good communication going back and forth about our ideas about things and, and we share ideas on ceratopsian dinosaurs. We actually gave a talk together in Boston about the hypothesis of Triceratops and Torosaurus, whether they're the same thing or, mm. or different things. So it's a really cool relationship, I think, between researchers where it's not like, you know, really contentious yeah like antagonistic and and it's it's very friendly and i think it's the way that science should be i Mm -hmm. mean here's a hypothesis there's evidence to support it let's see if we can falsify it so far i don't think it's been falsified but there's certainly lots of papers going around that have presented evidence that they say would suggest that it's not so but I, I think it'll go back and forth for at least some time before before someone goes out and finds a baby Torosaurus. Yeah. Which which that's probably the only easy way to falsify. That I think would be the easiest way to do it. I mean, if you found a little baby Torosaurus with horns curving backwards as they do in juveniles and really spiky epis on it and like you know an unambiguously small juvenile Torosaurus. That would be awesome <laughs> because then we would know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, this is what I said when I was working with Andy on our presentation. We're not concerned about being right, mm-hmm. you know, as scientists. It's not like, Torosaurus is Triceratops. I must be correct. Mm-hmm. It's, we want to know what these animals were really like and what their world was like. And so here's, here's an idea and let's see, let's see how it goes. If, it can, if it's falsified, then, then it's falsified. 
Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. That is exactly the way science should be. I think so. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, but I, I still think that there are growth stages of a single, and I think that there's good evidence, histological evidence, and so on to support that. But I'm sure there'll be additional papers with evidence against that and evidence for it. So it'll be cool to see the back and forth. Mm-hmm. How long has Big Mike been out there, the T-Rex? Well, okay, what, what's the story, I guess? How did he get the name Big Mike? I believe he's named after a former president of the university. But Big Mike is a bronze statue of the Wankel T-Rex, MOR555, which recently went out on loan to a Smithsonian for 50 years. So I think starting in 2019, if you go to the Smithsonian, you'll be seeing the nation's T-Rex, which is was MOR555, Big Mike. So they're one and the same. That's kind of cool. That is yeah. cool. Yeah, we're excited about that opening up. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And then there's the exhibit Tyrant Kings. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading the description of it, I was surprised it said it was one of the few, or this is one of the few museums that have a T-Rex on display. I think it's one of the few museums that has the actual fossils of a T-Rex okay. mounted, as opposed to a cast. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a. I think it's a really great exhibit because you have the the mount of Montana's T Rex standing there, and then behind it, there's kind of this glass case of Tyrannosaurus Rex growth, which goes from the smallest known T Rex skull in the world uh, all the way up to the largest T Rex skull, and they're both MOR specimens. So the biggest one is MOR 008 which was found decades ago. It's one of the first specimens here at the museum. And I guess it was in like thousands of pieces and it was pieced together over a long period of time before it was finally put together. And when they measured it, when it was put together, that they realized that it was really big. And then the smallest one, Chomper, was just discovered in 2010 by my my former roommate, Lee Hall. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that's really cool to have Chomper over there too. And then everything in between going from B-Rex and there's cast of the Wonkle T-Rex and then Montana's T-Rex is all in there. It's cool to be able to see them all next to each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Do they all have names? Uh, There's Chomper. There's... After Chomper, there's Jane, which is a burpee specimen. Mm-hmm. So that's a cast of the skull of Jane. After Jane is B-Rex. After B-Rex is, I believe, Montana's T-Rex, MOR980. Then after that is the Wonkle T-Rex, which is going to be at the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. And then after that is MOR008, the really big one. <laughs> I hope I have that right. <laughs> you also have an exhibit right now on Triceratops that's oh, yeah. similar, right? Uh-huh. Where it goes from... The youngest all the way up to... Do you have a Taurosaurus at the end? We have an adult Triceratops. (laughs) (laughs) Formerly known as... Yes. (laughs) Yep, yeah, it goes from... The smallest known Triceratops specimen is a uh, University of California Museum of Paleontology Berkeley specimen, which was described in 2006 by Mark Goodwin and colleagues. And its skull, I, I guess, could pretty much fit in your hand. And then on the opposite end, you have the Toro specimen, which is about the size of my car. <laughs> so, so it really shows the size range. And then we have a bunch of uh, growth stages in between there and far more in collections as well than in addition to what's just on exhibit. Cool. There's also a burrowing dinosaurs exhibit. Oh, yeah. So Rick the Dromius, that just went up 
two years ago. I think one of the cool things about the exhibits here is that they're always changing mm -hmm. to try to keep up with all the research that's going on here. So if you came here a year ago, or I guess just over a year ago, the new T-Rex exhibit wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. A year before that, the Erectodromius wasn't there yet. I'm sure if you come back in a year, there'll be something new that isn't here now. So we're always uh, adding things and switching things around. So Erectodromius, uh, the burrowing dinosaur, which was described by Dave Riccio and colleagues a few years ago, is on exhibit. <laughs> and you can like look into the burrow and see little juvenile Erectodromius, and there's the adult up top, and there's the burrow. It's it's pretty cool. Nice. nice. Yeah, we spoke with um, Anthony J. Martin about it. Probably in the a year early ago. episodes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Because is that that's the only one that's been discovered as like we know for sure burrowed, right? Yep, the the only one I believe published in the literature of uh, being in a burrow. Yeah, found in its own burrow. I think was the key because they found burrows, but you never know what made it unless you find the animal in it. Cool. As the curator for now, mm -hmm. you got any big plans yet? I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a whole week, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big plans. I guess well, we're going to be working on some new exhibits, keeping the exhibits changing and, and displaying research that's been happening here, highlighting some cool studies that have happened in the recent past continue having specimens prepared so we can learn new things, coordinating with researchers from different institutions, students, and others, and just producing more research regarding one of my favorite dinosaurs, Triceratops, and, and also other Montana dinosaurs, and just continuing to bring information about Montana's dinosaurs to Montana and the, and the rest of the world. Cool. New exhibits are always nice. Yeah. Do you do a lot of updating of exhibits, too? Or is it usually... they're being replaced at such a rate that you don't need to do uh, I too mean, much. I mean, there's there's been some updates, like text updates, but uh, mostly we just kind of switch them out with a, a newer exhibit. Cool. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you guys do a fair amount of education outreach stuff too. Mm -hmm. Are you involved with any of that stuff? I'm involved insofar as talking to school groups and things like that and students. And the MR does a lot with uh, educational programs with local school groups. And that's great because, I mean, that's especially for dinosaurs. I mean, that's that's how I first met dinosaurs is my first trip. Well, I, I guess first it was a trip to the library to, to read children's books about dinosaurs mm -hmm. and to see Gorgosaurus standing in the rain. And then, <laughs> and then a trip to uh, uh, the American Museum of Natural History in New York which is fantastic and, I, and it's one of my earliest memories is my family taking me to the museum and my mom says that uh, I ran up to the Apatosaurus and tried to hug it. <laughs> I think I was about three or four years old. I don't remember that, but I have to take her word for it. But that's, that's like the age, you know, an age where for some reason you really can connect with dinosaurs. I, I don't know if it's because you're so small and they're so big. <laughs> So it's great to always see lots of school children coming through the halls at the museum here. One of the cool things is the new T-Rex exhibit. You have Montana's T-Rex, and it's kind of posed like it's turning a corner, right? It's it's hmm. you, you walk down a hallway, and you turn to your right, and then there's this T-Rex coming at you. So, <laughs> so what I like to do sometimes is <laughs> my wife and I like to go sit upstairs right at that point, and you see little kids coming down the hallway, and then they turn, and then there's just like this blood-curdling scream <laughs> because the T-Rex is right in front of them, and it's like, but then there's like joyful laughter because they've seen T-Rex. The other day, there was, a, there was a little kid up in the exhibit hall who was trying to communicate with, with the T-Rex, like <laughs> making really 
important snarling noises because <laughs> he was pointing at it and snarling and he, he was waiting for a response. And I, and I was just happened to be walking through and I was like, this is a magical moment. <laughs> it was really cool. That's great. Cool. So you managed, they managed to pose the T-Rex even though it's been dead for 60-something million years, that it actually kind of sneaks up on you. Kind of. I mean, it's kind of a position you'll see when you go upstairs. You walk down the hall, and it's like, oh, there it is. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. That's cool. So if you hear any screams later. (laughs) Yes, followed by jovial laughter. (laughs) Having so many fossils, do you have just paleontologists galore? Are there How many paleontologists are there at the museum? At the museum? There's about half a dozen people in the paleo staff. I mean, there's the administrative director of paleo, there's the curator, Ellen Lamb, who does the histology lab, preparators. So there's there's a few people. And then are there even more that are at Montana State that work with the I mean, museum? like, for example, Dave Riccio is over at MSU, and we work very closely with Dave, I mean, Erythodromius is in large part part of his research. Yeah, so it's kind of like an extension almost cool. to have additional paleontologists on campus, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, and so students going to MSU have a great opportunity if they're interested in dinosaurs particularly because they have what's going on over on campus, and then they have the Museum of the Rockies right here, and it's one of the largest collections of dinosaurs, North American dinosaurs in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's a really great place if you wanted to study dinosaurs. Yeah, for sure. Yep. That's why I came here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, since you mentioned earlier about your wife and she is geologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys have a wedding here and it was dinosaur theme, which is awesome. Yep. We got married in the hall of horns and teeth, <laughs> <laughs> which was great. That is great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Do you guys still go on digs together ever? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. We like dinosaurs. <laughs> nice. Yep. It's pretty cool. Do you have any upcoming projects? Fieldwork-wise, we're, we're going to be heading back out in the field in a few weeks, probably working with some more triceratops, just, you know, because... <laughs> because they're there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're there and they're awesome and it's it's important. Every, every specimen of triceratops is important for mm-hmm. studying variation and all that. I'm also working with uh, an undergraduate student named Jack Wilson on horned dinosaurs from the Two Medicine Formation. Mm. So that's, that's a bit different from Triceratops. And uh, really, Triceratops is cool because, you know, studying the variation within a large number of specimens. So you can apply a lot of that to other dinosaurs and other animals. That's why I, I say that Triceratops is sort of like a model organism for studying evolution and variation in fossil animals. So we can apply some of the things we're learning through work with Triceratops to other animals. So I'm actually starting to work on a project with Dale Hansen, who works on mammals here, on fossil oreodonts, which is very wildly different from from dinosaurs, and it's like new territory for me. What's an oreodont? It's like, if you imagine like a cross between a pig and a sheep, kind of. (laughs) Interesting. From the Cenozoic. Okay. Yeah, so... This is this is new, yeah. <laughs> but 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 there, there's a lot of them, and they have variation, and see what we can learn about that. So that's kind of exciting and new. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. What else would you want to share about the museum? Probably 
the museum is really involved with trying to bring Montana to the world. Like bringing the world to Montana and bringing Montana to the world is, is like one of the goals of the museum. So one of the ways we do that is through the exhibits that are constantly changing to reflect the research that's going on here. But also we're working, at least the last few years, we've been working very closely with our sister institute in Japan, the Mifune Dinosaur Museum. Mm -hmm. So we actually send fossils from Montana to Japan and staff from Paleo here go to Japan with the fossils and they help train the staff there in how to work with fossils. So Montana dinosaurs are being prepared in kind of a viewing lab in Japan. Hmm. Uh, and then they're getting the experience of working with the fossils and, and the people in Japan can see Montana fossils and then they come back here and they're prepared. So it's, it's kind of really cool that way. Yeah. So I think the ways of engaging the public in Montana's prehistory is one of the cool things. Yeah, that's Definitely. cool. And one of the cool things about being the interim curator of paleontology is that my work with Jack in large part and the other graduate students here focused on kind of transitions throughout either growth in Triceratops or through the evolution of Triceratops. And now I guess if you look back through the history of the Museum of the Rockies as the interim curator between Jack Horner and whomever may be the next curator, it's kind of a transitional stage <laughs> that I am in right now. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking with us. Sure. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's been fun. Yeah. Thanks again to Dr. John Scanella for taking the time to talk with us. We really enjoyed our visit. Yeah, it was a really fun interview and a great stop. We got some good shirts, too. And a mug. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy 
happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now for our dinosaur of the day, Byronosaurus, which was a request from Jill via Patreon. So thanks, Jill. Byronosaurus was a trudontid dinosaur that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Mongolia. Michael Novacek found the bones in 1993 as part of an American Museum of Natural History expedition to the Gobi Desert. In 1996, a second specimen, a skull, was found about five miles or eight kilometers away from the first specimen. Mark Norrell, Peter McAvicki, and James Clark described Byronosaurus in 2000, and the type species is Byronosaurus jaffi. The name honors Byron Jaff, and his family supported the Mongolian Academy of Sciences American Museum of Natural History Paleontological Expeditions. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Yep. The holotype was of a partial skeleton with a partial skull, and the skull was 9 inches or 23 centimeters long. Also, two skulls of young, possibly newly hatched individuals were found in 2009 and referred to as Byronosaurus. They were originally thought to be Velociraptor. The two young hatchlings, or embryos close to hatching, were found in a nest of oviraptorid eggs, and they know it was an oviraptorid nest because an oviraptorid embryo was found in one of the eggs. So the Byronosaurus could be there because of prey for the adult oviraptorid, or it might have been a nest parasite, which means that a Byronosaurus adult laid eggs in this oviraptorid nest, city like potty. A cuckoo. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, actually, in our episode about city potty. So Byronosaurus was very bird-like, and it's a trudontid. So trudontids have unique skulls with closely spaced teeth, and a lot of teeth. Also sickle claws. And they were very smart with keen senses. Yeah, they're usually ranked the highest on the encephalization quotient of all the dinosaurs. Not the dinosaur you'd want to cross. Yeah. (laughs) They did not have serrations on their teeth. Most trudontids did have serrations. And Byronosaurus is most similar to Shishiosaurus which also did not have serrations on their teeth, and we discussed that in episode 84. Their teeth were needle-like, which was good for catching small birds, lizards, and mammals, and also similar to Archaeopteryx. And they had a highly developed sense of smell, which was helpful for hunting. And Byronosaurus showed that there was diversity in Asian trudontids. So trudontidae is a small group of manoraptorans. They're very bird-like and small. And some scientists have suggested that Trudontidae were ancestors of birds, but most believe that their ancestors were dromaeosaurs. Trudontid genuses include Sauronithoides from Mongolia, Trudon from North America, and Synornithoids. Other Trudontids include Borogovia, named after a Lewis Carroll poem, hmm. and Xanabazar, named after a Mongolian spiritual figure, and another one named May. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They had long legs, large curved claws on their second toes that retracted when it runs, which is similar to dromaeosaurids, but of course they're smaller. And they also, in addition to being very smart, had good hearing. And we know this, their ears were asymmetrical. So one was higher than the other, which is similar to owls. So they may have hunted like owls using hearing to locate prey. Some may have been omnivorous, though most were probably carnivorous. And some trudontid fossils show that they roosted like birds, like May, and that supports the theory that they probably had feathers. Very neat. And our fun fact of the day is that one of the biggest problems that fossils can have after they're excavated is called pyrite disease. And I guess it potentially might happen naturally, but considering fossils last for tens of millions of years, it would have to get at least a little bit exposed to have this problem. So... 
Pyrite, also known as fool's gold, is a mineral made of iron and sulfur, and if a fossil forms in the presence of iron and sulfur, they can form pyrite crystals as part of the fossil. And at first that isn't a problem, since replacing bones with minerals is really all of what fossilization is, so if things like this weren't happening, we wouldn't have any fossils at all. So it's a good thing that minerals are getting in and filling the space where the bone used to be and becoming cool little fossils. But pyrite, if it's exposed to water and oxygen, can oxidize. And you might have guessed that when it had iron in it, because when iron is oxidized, it's called rust. And when iron rusts, or when pyrite oxidizes, it expands and it can basically shatter the fossil that it's in. So it, if you imagine something inside a piece of concrete expanding, you get tons of little cracks all over the place. And then you know, it basically crumbles afterwards. That's why those old concrete buildings you'll see basically are crumbling apart. A lot of times it's because the rebar in it gets exposed to some water and oxygen and it starts expanding and then just completely destroying everything. So the same thing can happen in these fossils if they have pyrite in them. And in fact, it started happening to the Triceratops that was on display at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. So they decided to take it down so they could better preserve the fossil. According to the American Museum of Natural History, the solution to prevent this problem is basically just to keep the humidity below 45%. And you might notice hygrometers or humidity sensors in museum displays. That's usually just to make sure it's not getting too wet and possibly rusting or having other issues. And if it does start to rust, in air quotes, <laughs> oxidize, the best thing you can do at that point is keep it even drier. They say if you get it below 30% humidity, then sometimes things will be okay. They won't continue to get worse. So fool's gold, as pyrite is also known, not good for fossils. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> Chemistry. Well, that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.